Oh, that Boy Scout Jamboree. Did you ever go to a Boy Scout Jamboree, dude? I never did go to a Jamboree. We went to the Jubilee one year, I think. That was like the regional one. Yeah, there's like there's a Jamboree, which is like the district, and then I guess there's a Jubilee, which is regional. And then the Jamboree, there's a National Jamboree and a World Jamboree. Mm-hmm. I think I went to a Jamboree when they had it in Nebraska, but they maybe it was just Nebraska. a Jubilee. But Weird Al played. Weird Al played a concert. Yeah, that was the, that was the <laughs> Jubilee. That, that the was pretty great. <laughs> I must have been probably in like seventh or eighth grade or something. I would have much rather seen a Weird Al concert than right. have Donald Trump mm-hmm. get up there and be like... <laughs> Everybody vote for healthcare. Wait, you can't vote? Or do, well, I don't know. What, where am I again? <laughs> well, yeah, that's why they were all chanting USA. That's like they the were reminding they him. Do. Yeah, where he's like, where am I? Mm-hmm. USA. Oh, I feel like I feel at ease now. Oh man, I thought I was at the Boy Scouts of Romania for a second there. You know. <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to the Liquid Flannel Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska is Brendan Williams. Brendan, how's it going? It's going good. It's another week. All right. And joining us in Arlington, Texas, as usual, is the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I've talked before on the show about how I never got my Eagle Scout, basically as a, yes. a form of protest, and mm-hmm. I'm feeling pretty validated in that decision today. <laughs> Well, they can't take mine away from me, and I'm not going to throw it away. So. We got Trump uh, out there getting his honorary Eagle Scout today, uh, getting anointed by <laughs> do, the crowd. Do they do they do that? Do they give an honorary I mean, award? I, I'm sure he'll say that they did, whether they did it or not. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, he can always just fire them, pardon himself into an Eagle Scout. <laughs> For sure, pardon himself into some knots and lashings. He's like, well, they weren't going to do it, but they said if they ever were, it was going to be me. They wanted me to have that, (laughs) believe me. Well, yeah, we can talk a little bit about Trump with the scouts, but even more importantly, we can also go into a little bit of the uh, Democratic better deal. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, I think they're calling it a better deal. Better jobs, better wages, better future. Papa John's. Better pizza, better ingredients, (laughs) better pizza. Uh, We talked last week about what do the Democrats need to do to re-energize the party, to unite all these different factions and i guess uh they must have listened because uh they're throwing down their new platform and so we're gonna see how it stacks up and if it's gonna accomplish the goal here absolutely spoiler it's not (laughs) to start i didn't know how this was gonna end (laughs) so but i'll see where the ride takes me (laughs) so i guess we've got all that and more so uh without further ado let's go ahead and jump right in i said Who the hell wants to speak about politics when I'm in front of the Boy Scouts, right? Who the hell wants to speak about politics in front of the Boy Scouts? I think I know someone who does. But do you remember that incredible night with the maps? And the Republicans are red, and the Democrats are blue, and that map was so red, it was unbelievable, and they didn't know what to say. He also told the children uh, this long story about a tycoon that included this curious section. I saw him at a cocktail party, and it was very sad because the hottest people in New York were at this party. And he went out and bought a big yacht, 
And he had a very interesting life. I won't go any more than that because you're Boy Scouts, so I'm not going to tell you what he did. The Jamboree always seemed like it might be kind of cool, but it was a huge trip because they always have it. It's always on the East Coast, I think. The footage from this thing is, it is eerily reminiscent of another group of, you know, young men (laughs) all dressed up in um, shorts and brown shirts, you know, chanting for a an autocratic ruler. That's what Trump wants. I mean, he wanted to have tanks and missiles in his inaugural parade. So just get him up in front of like a pseudo military organization. And (laughs) he's just at his, in his comfort Mm. zone right there. Yeah. It's disturbing. And the, uh, you know, I saw some parents on Twitter going, Oh, my son is there right now. I'm so embarrassed. You know, like, man, you know what the scouts is, and there's no way you guys didn't know that Donald Trump was going to appear. And knowing Donald Trump, there's no way you didn't know that this is what he was going to do. He wasn't going to show up to talk about, you know, the importance of service to your community and living by the the scout oath and the scout law. He was going to do what he always does and talk about his electoral college victory and badmouth people literally threatened the... HHS secretary who was there on stage with him. What? Yeah, Tom Price is is up there on stage, and Trump, in the middle of his comments about how we're going to repeal Obamacare to a chant of USA, USA, from a bunch Mm -hmm. of kids who don't know what the hell they're doing, says, I'm telling my secretary, he's got to get those votes. He's got to, you know, he's got to get these Republican senators to get in line, or, you know, I may just have to tell him, you're fired. And everybody laughs and cheers, and <laughs> Woo, Tom Price face! also laughs, but in the way where it's like, he's actually going to fire me, and my life is a joke now. Well, yeah. his life was a joke anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how he was like, you know, Boy Scouts are all about loyalty, and that's <laughs> something that we need right now is a little right. bit more loyalty going on, where it's like, the Boy Scouts are not about loyalty to a person. It's about loyalty to, like, a code of conduct to your community and, like, right. your family and stuff. Yeah. And Donald Trump's like, no, it's loyalty to me. He's like, like I bet there's no leaks in Boy Scouts right now <laughs> because they're they're loyal. That's, like, the second thing they do. <laughs> but I think any random Boy Scout would probably do just as good of a job at being in the Trump administration as Jared Kushner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My favorite take on that lately has been Bill O'Reilly, who said, Jared Kushner looks like a high schooler. I don't believe that someone who looks that young could ever could ever collude with anyone. Like, what does that even mean? Like, he's, he's in the president's inner circle, and he's been tasked with everything from uh, solving peace in the Middle East to ending the opioid epidemic. Like, right. now, he's, yeah. now he looks too young to actually do anything right. important. That peace in the Middle East is going really great. I hear peace is just exploding left and right. Oh, yeah, right dude. Now. It's literally pieces of the Middle East everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> he had his giant off-the-record, not under oath, not filmed interview with the Senate. And right before he put out a statement that he was like, look, when I said that I never met with Russians and I didn't know what you're talking about... What I meant to say was I met with four Russians at four different times, but it wasn't a big deal, and we didn't talk about anything important because I don't know what I'm doing. I go to meetings with Russians, and I have no idea what's going on, what anyone's talking about. I'm just like, when can I leave? Please, I text my (laughs) assistant to tell me, me. you know, 
call me and pretend it's important so I can leave this meeting because I have no idea what's going on. They're talking about adoptions and shit. <laughs> and that's literally, and he's like, I didn't read my own emails. I had no idea who I, who I was talking to, where I was, <laughs> what was going on. So I didn't collude with the Russians. And it's like, you're, that's not better, man. Like, you're, yeah. not, you're not helping your case here by saying yeah. you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, for real. Mm. You know, it, but I, th- I think there is a chance that he is both evil and comically inept. You know, I mean, uh. like, look at these, uh, the disclosure forms he had to fill out uh, for his security clearance and just somehow kind of forgot to include possibly millions of dollars that have come from from various shady overseas sources. And, you know, so, it, I mean, part of you is like, well, did he did he think he could just do that and get away with it? Or is he actually just an idiot? His excuse was like, oh, well, my assistant hit send before I was done. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Where it's like, again, it's like yeah, your excuse. With that. Right, your excuse just unveils like even if even if that's true if we just take them at face value your excuse makes you look even worse yep so and he just keeps doing it over and over again i mean it can't he can't be long for the administration it seems like so many people in the trump administration are like teetering on the edge of either quitting or getting fired or being forced to get resign because of your shady connections we got right. The Kushner's taking the fall. I was going to say, this episode is recorded on Monday, which is July 24th. And I don't know about you guys. Do we have any predictions on whether, by the time the episode airs, whether Jeff Sessions is still the attorney general, the beleaguered attorney general? Jeff beleaguered Sessions. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it seems like everything points to Trump wanting this dude to quit. Well, yeah, he wants him to quit because then he can get uh, an attorney general in there who could basically call off this whole investigation. Um, And the thing is, it doesn't seem like there's any way to keep that from happening. If these people weren't all so horrible, you'd almost feel sorry for them. You know, Sean Spicer, who sacrificed all of the remaining professional and personal integrity he had left... Um, <laughs> in order to just spin and lie for Trump for six months. And then now he's just out in the cold. Well, and not even <laughs> do that great of a job of it. It's not like he could go up there and be like, look, the things that I said were horrible, but like I did it so amazingly well. Right. You know, you have to respect my skills. It's like, no, <laughs> right. not only were the things that you said and did reprehensible, but you were terrible at it. You yeah, were yeah. an embarrassment the entire time. You forgot to wear the same color shoes. He's certainly no Scaramucci going up there and talking about what a phenomenal athlete Trump is. <laughs> oh, God, that was so Phenomenal beautiful. athlete. Was it three-foot putts or 30-foot putts? I'm hearing some different things about it. <laughs> Either way, it's right. pretty laughable. They were like, oh, he's a man that I've just seen throw spiral after spiral, yeah. just free throw after free throw. Right. It's Nail like, what? what? Is he like Kim yeah. Jong-il now that you're like, he next last time he golfed, he hit seven holes in one. Like, Dude, he's I saw him blessed. bust three wickets while bowling on the cricket pitch, you know. <laughs> Oh, wait, that's not American. <laughs> so. He's so good, Time Magazine publishes his picture on its cover, even when they don't. Every month. Yeah, Scaramucci. Uh, I've watched State of the Union with Jake Tapper or whatever on CNN, oh. and Scaramucci is like, a private source told, anonymous source told me that, you know, if Russia had hacked the election, 
we wouldn't even know. There'd be no evidence about it. Jake Tapper's like, well, you know, I mean, so that anonymous source of yours, and he literally goes, let's just say it was, it was Donald Trump. It's <laughs> right. like, wow, okay, man. Right, and then you go, well, where did Donald Trump get this information that the Russian hackers are so good that you wouldn't even know if it had been them? He from goes, Putin. from Putin, directly from Putin <laughs> yeah. when they talked. So it's like, so you know it's reliable. That dude, Putin... He's a straight shooter, you know. But then he he's tells like, it like it is. But the leaks got to stop, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're a family in here. No leaks, guys. Yeah. No leaks. We'll blow each other's cover, but uh, but but that's not leaking. So <laughs> not leaking. But yeah, I mean that's the thing. Trump goes out and he rails against anonymous, you know, sources and fake news. You know, the failing New York Times, and then he gives a sit-down interview to the New York Times where he just blathers a whole bunch of nonsense, you know, including this stuff about Jeff Sessions, you know, should have not recused himself or if he was going to recuse himself, I would have never hired him in the first place sure. right? because I want to control everything. You know, it's like he has absolutely, you know, no discipline and he's out there lying repeatedly and then railing against the fake news for reporting the lies that he told. Right. Well, and, and what's really sad about that is that was probably the most cogent thing he said uh, since he became president. That, yeah, maybe it would have been a good idea for you not to appoint as attorney general someone who was already compromised on some of the biggest stuff that's going to happen during your administration. It, it would have required you to literally sit down and think about that for like 30 seconds yeah <laughs> to just decide like wait maybe this is a bad idea and i should get someone who's a little bit more impartial in there but that's not what he wants he wants the most loyalist person he can find in the same new york times interview he was like well you know the fbi director really works directly for me none of this department of justice nonsense in the first place yeah and like that's not even true but he thinks it's true because he doesn't know what he's talking about. So to him, it is true. And so there's this whole mm -hmm. conversation about, well, why don't the why does the New York Times ever call him a liar or a liar? To lie, you have to know that you're telling something that's not true. He doesn't even know. Well, and isn't that Kellyanne Conway's defense of Trump? It's like, well, he doesn't know that he's lying, so it's not really lying. <laughs> right. I mean, it's called yeah. just making up bullshit. That's not lying. That's just yeah. Trump. That's that's called freestyling. <laughs> That's called scat in jazz. It's like bop, bop, bada boom. <laughs> it's literally the academic definition of bullshit. Like a guy wrote a whole essay about this that, you know, <laughs> lying is in order to lie, you have to know what the truth is. Otherwise, you're just bullshitting. It's speaking without regard for what's true or false. And my other favorite part of that interview was uh, that he was saying that health insurance costs a dollar a month or like $12 a month or whatever. Yeah, yeah $12 a year, I think he said. <laughs> because right. he, he doesn't know the difference between medical insurance and like life ins Gerber life insurance for babies that they sell on infomercials on Fox News. Right, right. He literally <laughs> doesn't know the difference between those two things. And he thinks that you can get health insurance for a dollar a month. Well, that's probably he probably thinks that that guy with the question marks all over his suit is actually stealing millions of dollars from the government oh, too, yeah, <laughs> to help it. people like start businesses and shit. I think if we can maybe get Trump to think that that guy is is a secret supervillain who's stealing from the government, he will just be so distracted, you know, trying to hunt him down and pretend to be a superhero. 
that he won't have time to kill healthcare or anything. He'll put Jared Kushner in charge of the the new Justice League of America <laughs> to bring this guy. Right. I would. I think Jared Kushner would look really good in that uh, Robin outfit. I think he would fill that out perfectly. <laughs> Actually, he does look like he would be a decent Robin. Well, he does have the body of a high schooler. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's he's like an acrobat. He's so lithe. Yeah, his face is completely smooth. It does. I've never seen a five o'clock shadow. Even when he was in what was it, Iraq or Afghanistan, it was like completely clean shaven. Well, you know, he had his his butler like shaving him before he went out there with the flak jacket on over his Brooks Brothers suit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Be prepared. That's the Boy Scouts marching song. Be prepared. As through life you march along, be prepared to hold your liquor pretty well. Don't write naughty words on walls if you can't spell. Be prepared to hide that pack of cigarettes. Don't make book. If you cannot cover bets, keep those reefers hidden where you're sure that they will not be found. And be careful not to smoke them when the scoutmaster's around, for he only will insist that they be shared. Be prepared. Yeah, the Republicans actually have Puerto Rican statehood as something that they say they support as well even though they clearly don't actually support it in reality because it would be another Democratic vote. And they have, you know, if they wanted it to happen, like, they're in full control right now, like, go for it. No one's stopping you. They just voted in order to do it, even though the vote was messed up or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if they wanted to do it, they would get it done, but they clearly don't. Yeah, that vote was so strange where the opposition party decided the best way to show their opposition was to not show up to vote at all. So it ended up well, being like a 95%, right. you know, wanted statehood. And they're like, well, that <laughs> vote doesn't count because the people who, you know, basically just like, look at who didn't vote and those people are all opposed. I'm like, right. well, that's not, that's not really how votes work. That's not really how voting works. Well, it's because the, basically the way that they were protesting is because when they do the vote, they say like, Hey, Puerto Rico, do you want to vote to be like, yes, a state, mm-hmm. or no, be totally independent? Oh. And so the majority of people are actually like, I don't want either of those things. What I want is like to keep our like status, Territory. but to get a better deal. Or what mm-hmm. like I don't necessarily want full statehood, but I do think that you know, we should have better representation and there should be better avenues to address grievances and to work together and, you know, stuff like that. But wouldn't there be better avenues and all that stuff if they were a state? Or... I guess. I'm not really sure what the drawback is. Maybe you just have to pay more taxes. Or yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring <laughs> yeah. out what the, you know, what they would lose by becoming a state because they already pay uh, certain federal taxes and they are subject to federal regulations and stuff like that but they don't have they don't have senators or uh congress people right they literally have taxation without representation as yeah. i believe they like to call it right sweet right. so they can be dc part two if the united states splits in two they could be the second capital guys <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> better beaches for sure better beaches <laughs> Well, they're not promising us better beaches, but they're promising us better everything else, right? (laughs) Right. 
So, yeah, so last week we talked about how the Democrats need to establish, like, some simple principles that are effectively communicated that can rally everybody together as a left, you know, left-center coalition and retake the House, retake the Senate, retake the White House, start declared justices, and just create the socialist utopia of America <laughs> like they always wanted. And so they took their first step, taking our advice, and they unveiled their new uh, pizza slogan uh, of the better deal. <laughs> pizza slogans are really hot in politics lately. Uh, if you remember, Herman Cain got pretty far using his ridiculous nonsensical pizza slogan of 999. Right? Well, <clears throat> I give Herman Cain more credit for it because Herman Cain comes from a pizza background. I mean, that dude <laughs> literally comes from the streets of pizza. Yeah. So, you know, these people are all just fakers. It's faux pizza. <laughs> it, you know, that's the real pizza gate. So we've got this thing, and, you know, who better to deliver that message that's going to rally the left than Nancy, we're a capitalist party, Pelosi. You know, not ready for single payer. <laughs> so, yeah, should we, uh, should we cue up the music? Because I think it's time to do a little roundtable on this. Let's do it. All right. So, from the op-ed pages of the Washington Post comes... Americans deserve better than the GOP agenda, so we're offering a better deal. By Nancy Pelosi. Last week, our nation marked six months since President Trump's inauguration. For the first time in a decade, the GOP had the White House, Congress, and complete control of the legislative process to advance its agenda. But instead of creating good-paying jobs or rebuilding America's crumbling infrastructure, or advancing tax reform, Republicans have spent six months trying to raise Americans' health costs to fund tax breaks for billionaires. Democrats have a better approach. In fact, a better deal. On Monday, House and Senate Democrats are traveling to the town of Berryville, Virginia to announce a fresh vision for a better deal, better jobs, better wages, better future. Better future is, is pretty generic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I, I mean, nobody knows how good my future is in my mind. <laughs> You're gonna tell me I'm gonna do better than that? But better, better also doesn't really imply, you know, whether or not it's good. I mean, because obviously right, what's going right. on right now is bad, but it could be slightly better and still bad. And I, I think, I think we may end up finding out things. that that's uh, what they're gonna try to sell us here. Okay. Mm. What motivates us is that the costs of living keep rising, but families feel their incomes and wages aren't keeping up. That's true. Special interests are given special treatment, while hardworking Americans are ignored. Okay, that's true. Working people, from the heartland to the cities, are struggling in a rigged economy and a system stacked against them. Our agenda is focused on efforts to create jobs and raise incomes for American workers, to lower the cost of living for American families, and to build an economy that gives every American the tools to succeed in the 21st century. It is an ambitious economic agenda that represents a renewed democratic commitment to the hardworking men and women across the United States who have been left out and left behind for far too long. As part of that commitment, Democrats are announcing three new proposals rooted in a bold approach to the challenges facing the United States. Um, I think bold 
is doing a lot of work in that sense. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I, I got I gotta say, it's it's not terrible. You know, I think right. I, I see what they're going for. They they're basically wanting to you know get out there and they're responding to I think the criticism that they've been receiving right which is like look you get out there and you talk about how lame Trump is but why don't why aren't you talking about what you would do differently um, but I think they're still they're still stuck in this approach of wanting to appeal it seems like they're wanting to appeal to Trump sympathetic voters mostly even though they're publishing op-eds in the New York Times and the Washington Post as their, <laughs> right. as their way of unveiling these uh, these yeah. working-class uh, <laughs> proposals or whatever. Well, Brennan, I, I think you're right, and I, I do appreciate the gesture. Like, the preamble is not bad. It It is super generic. It doesn't really say much um, other than what literally every politician says all the time. I mean, it, it, reads, like, it reads like Ben Sassy. Uh, at the Ben, is it Sass? Ben Sass? Whatever. Yeah. Ben Sass. Reads you can like, say sassy. I like Sasshole. it. Yeah. It, it reads like Ben Sass's comments at that, um, that Bernie Sanders rally, you know? Um, but here's the thing, like, in addition to trying to appeal to, you know, moderate Trump voters, which I, I'm not sure how many of those people are actually out there. It also is clearly designed to appeal to big money interests, even while they're talking about how special interests get treated better. Right. And so, yeah, let's, let's dig into the, the meat and potatoes of these proposals. Right. And well, and I just want to say, if there's one person, if you if you want your, your party's strategic, you know, play to be, let's go for those moderate, you know, Trump voters or people who sat out because they didn't want to vote for Trump, but they didn't vote for Hillary. They didn't like Hillary either. You know, Nancy Pelosi is not the correct person to deliver that <laughs> Absolutely message. Absolutely not. And sure. they should be recognizing that that message is, is not ringing true when it's coming from Nancy Pelosi, who they love to hammer on her, but she's from, like, the richest district or whatever in America. Right. So to get her to be like, we're going to work for middle-class families, it's like, it just doesn't, there's a disconnect. Oh, yeah, and middle-class Trump-voting white families hate Nancy Pelosi. They're not going right. to listen to a word that she has to say. And they have people, I mean, I mean, and I, it's, I don't want to criticize it just because it's Nancy Pelosi, but it's like, they have people in their party that can deliver that message much more effectively. I don't know why, just because Nancy Pelosi's the party leader on paper, that they need her to stamp her name on this. Like, right. That's not doing anybody any favors. Well, I mean, be mm. be super careful with your criticism here because uh, I've seen it happen a million times. You criticize Nancy Pelosi on policy or, um, you know, real politic uh, likability and, you know, the, the demographics that like or dislike her. And basically, you're just a misogynist now, you know. Well, <laughs> again, I'm not saying that she can't deliver any message. If, if they wanted to give a speech to say look, here's what we're doing. You know, we're doubling down on, you know, the California strategy or whatever, and I'm Nancy Pelosi, and I can tell you how great it is. Right. Like, that's That works great. Sure. If you're doubling down on we need to appeal to the working class, it's just not the right messenger. But let's dig into the meat of their working class policies here. <laughs> All right. Back to the article. First... Democrats are pledging ourselves to the goal of creating good-paying, full-time jobs for 10 million more Americans in the next five years. 
It is time to ignite a new era of investment in America's workers, empowering all Americans with the skills they need to compete in the modern economy. We are calling for a new tax credit for employers to train and hire workers at a good wage, and a massive new national commitment to expanding apprenticeships and paid on-the-job training that advances their skills and careers. So, hmm. a tax credit for employers mm -hmm. to hire workers as if... More tax credits. As if the reason that any business should hire someone is so that they can get a tax break. Like, <laughs> that's a secure, long-term, good-paying, full-time right. job right there that your company only did to get a one-time tax write-off. Right. <laughs> how, is this, how is this any different from trickle-down economics, which is based on that faulty logic that if only the employers had more money, they'd hire more people? That's not how businesses work. You don't hire employees just because you have money laying around. You hire employees because there's demand, you know? The, the, way to, right. the way to create employment is to give the working and middle class more money to spend on goods and services, and then there's demand in the economy, and companies go, we can't meet the demand. We need to hire more people. Right. We're busy. We, we have a lot of business going on, not we need more tax breaks, get people in the door that we don't have anything for them to Yeah, do. exactly. Right. And also, this is so nonspecific about, like, what skills are they talking about? You know, what, what skills, what apprenticeships are we, I mean, cause you know, not to, not to dunk on, um, like HVAC repairmen, but there are only so many jobs in that sector. You know, we see automation eating up massive sectors of the economy. You know, we had Alexis Biddle on a couple of months ago talking about how self-driving vehicles and ride sharing are just going to absolutely demolish the transportation sector, which is one of the biggest sectors of employment in this country. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and it's it is funny because they kind of unveiled this like it was a big change. But if you look at the Democratic Party platform that they released out of the last Democrat convention, which was overshadowed by the presidential race, but a big important thing that happened was they adopted a lot of the Bernie Sanders, you know, style ideas into their party platform. And this is just a slight reworking of some of that stuff, but mm -hmm. they're not leading with their best ideas here because they could just as easily be coming out and talking about things that they've already said they want to do, like giving people free college if you make under $100,000 a year. Right. Mm -hmm. If they're going to be in here talking about you know, we need to train people on, on skills or whatever to say, yeah, this is something that we want to do. We want to get you to college at, you know, low cost to you so that you can get those apprenticeships and things that, you know, working class people are, you know, all, they're always saying that the working class needs right. is those, you know, not just go into a four year, get your degree in finance or whatever, but like learn a trade, learn a skill, sure. learn carpentry, learn HVAC or whatever. Well, they never they take talking it. About that. They never take it to that further step. I mean, it's just like with wanting to hire more people into the workforce. That's more people that res that employers are on the hook for in terms of insurance without addressing what we can do to make sure that, you know, employers don't have that, which would be single pair. They right. don't want to take it. All the way to the point where it would agitate the donor class is, you know, seems to be the MO. I mean, it all sounds good. It definitely sounds like, you know, they've caught the the vibe, the whiff of the Bernie, you know, coming right. around. Yeah. Well, and they almost got you there because <laughs> the next thing that they want to talk about 
is a little bit of that health care. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, oh, man. So, so let's listen so, to their bold uh, their bold proposal. Up. Yeah. Yes. So we're, yeah, we're, we're jacking be it bold. up here. All right. Here we go. Or my pizza's free. All right. While we grow jobs, wages, and the economy, Democrats know that a better deal for the American people demands strong action to tackle rising costs that are eating up families' budgets. Mm-hmm. Prescription drug prices are jacked up. Jacked. I, 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 I love it. I love the. There's like a little bit of wordplay going on. Does that there. mean that they're high or that they're 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 too high? That they're messed up? I, I'm not sure what they're trying to say. <laughs> right. right. Prescription drug prices are jacked up. And Americans have fewer options at increased costs. Large communication companies merge, and families see fewer options and higher bills. Agriculture giants consolidate while farmers struggle and prices in Americans' shopping carts rise. That's, I don't like the metaphor, because there's no price in a shopping cart. (laughs) Okay. The price of gas goes down, but plane tickets become more expensive, and airlines keep adding fees. You know what? Most people in America... Don't get to fly. They can't afford to take trips where they're actually on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With this agenda, Democrats pledge ourselves to breaking the grip of special interests and confronting the rising everyday costs that families have endured for far too for too long. Okay, that that sounds exciting. That sounds like some Teddy Roosevelt, right. you know, trust busting sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So so let's see what the Democrats are going to do. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. That is the impetus behind our second proposal to put economic power back in the hands of the American people, cracking down on the monopolies and big corporate mergers that harm consumers, workers, and competition. We will demand... We will demand that proposed mergers meet tough new standards to protect competition before approval, and will institute post-merger reviews to ensure that consolidated companies keep their promises to American consumers. What the fuck? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, like opposed to that. Like, sure, you know, when Comcast is trying to merge with Time Warner or whatever, and they already have like a cable monopoly, maybe you don't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, but shouldn't it already be? Shouldn't that be something that's already easily determined? Wait, that's close to a monopoly. We can't do that. I mean, right? But it's like, yeah, it's like too little, too late. And right. yeah, that that's not a bold thing that's really gonna saying we're really gonna do the job right. we should have been doing right, right. well they're they're also the completely here. straddling the line here right because before approval is built in approval is built into the proposal it's assuming that this stuff is still going to happen so instead of coming out strongly and saying look we have too many trusts in this country we have too many giant industries that are monopolizing and killing competition and killing markets you know they're gonna say, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna scrutinize them a little bit more um, than than we're doing right now. But the, you know, approval for these mergers is built into the proposal. Right, I and mean, yeah, they're not saying like we're gonna break up these companies and force competition. They're just saying like we'll think, we'll look a little bit closer at it. It's like it's not a concrete Commitment. deliverable. Right. Yeah, and uh, you know we're gonna institute these post-merger reviews to ensure that. The, the companies are meeting, you know, the, the things that they said to get through our approval process. Like, is there going to be any enforcement of that? I mean, are you – she won't even go so far as to say, and if they don't, we'll break them up, we'll roll the merger back or something. Well, this is just a taste, you know. They don't want to give the whole game away, honestly. <laughs> right. And okay, I mean... but that's not – what I'm saying is that's <laughs> right. that's the opposite of a bold proposal, you know. Mm. 
you can't you can't just say like look we're gonna we're gonna be a little harder on them and then brand it as this is our bold new strategy for protecting the american consumer from the the capitalist class that's insane well and again it's like i'm not opposed to saying like look airline fees are ridiculous you know mega mergers between giant companies aren't good for the bottom line of you know middle class families pocketbooks that's not wrong but it's not a, a groundbreaking proposal in any way if they really wanted to do something that was groundbreaking they would talk about you know hey look for far too long you know all these millionaires and billionaires and wall street people have been raking in you know mad money and yep. destroying the economy you know we're going to actually put an end to that you know reinstate glass steagall and th- you know if they're going to talk about you know mergers that are harming consumers <clears throat> you know look at things like wells fargo and bank of america and all these scandals and stuff absolutely they could if they wanted to have actual bold proposals they could you know propose reforms but that might scare off those big money donors that they still want to court. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. So so then we've got this this third one that, uh, not to editorialize too much, does feel a little tacked on and kind of just tacky on its own. So third, Democrats will take unprecedented aggressive action to lower the cost of prescription drugs, the single largest factor driving increasing health costs in the United States today. We will leverage the power of Medicare to negotiate lower drug prices force drug manufacturers to open their books and justify cost increases, and create a strong independent enforcement agency empowered to end outrageous and unjustified prescription drug price gouging. I'm not sure that you're going to reach a whole lot of people on the issue of prescription drug costs. I mean, people can't afford to go and see the doctor to get a prescription. Right. They're putting the cart before the horse here. I mean, it's great to say, yeah, we're going to lower prescription drug costs but if you don't have health insurance at all that's not going to help you yeah (laughs) or if you have health insurance but you can't afford it that's not going to help you either yeah um a 10 discount on unaffordable is still unaffordable right well Um, and then you've also got like high-powered democrats like cory booker who vote down proposals to improve access to prescription drugs and also take hundreds of thousands of dollars per election from the pharmaceutical industry. Well, he said he's going to take, he's going to stop that temporarily here. <laughs> temporarily? Because of the optics. Yeah, because of the optics, you know, it's, it's not a good look, so. <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. So. Jesus. Hey, it's something. But I think it shows that they're, they're not ready. They want to be able to come out and say bold proposals. But they're not ready to actually do that. Hmm. <laughs> they when are they say ever? It. When when do the Democrats ever put forward an actually bold proposal? It's always well, this hemming and hawing, and we don't want to piss off the donor class, and we need to, you know, we need to maintain our image as the party that's willing to work on a bipartisan basis, even though we never get that reciprocated from the other side. So well, every proposal they put forward is always this watered down you know, neoliberal doesn't actually improve things substantively and also is unsellable. I mean, politically, it's unsellable. Well, yeah. (laughs) But I think what it does show, though, is that, look, this is is what Nancy Pelosi is saying, right? This gives 
Democrat candidates who are going to be running in the 2018 elections and eventually for president in 2020 room to run to the left. And where that change is come is going to come from is going to be from when those candidates who actually run on an actual bold, strong platform start to win in, in numbers that make the Democratic Party pay attention and say, oh, look, maybe we were wrong that we didn't need to come out for single payer. Maybe we were wrong that we it would drive away more people than it would pull in. <laughs> Maybe we were wrong that we, you know, should double down on tax breaks for corporations instead right. of tax <sighs> breaks yeah. for for people. Uh, you know, <laughs> once they start to see that that's a losing message, uh, and the other messages are winning messages. More importantly is when they start to change. And again, you see it happened with with the popularity of the Bernie campaign. They adopted a lot of his strategy. I mean, he he was successful in his goal of pulling the Democratic Party platform to the left. And mm-hmm. they're going to keep feeling that pressure. And I mean, just the fact that they're they're going out so early in this process. We're only into we're only 6 months into Trump's first term. The fact that Democrats this early are going out and saying, hey, here's our here's our platform that we want all these candidates to run on. Right. Um, and they're they're doing this to start to recruit more of those you know, candidates and to keep them engaged and to give them something to talk about and to come out and say, look, you know, Nancy Pelosi said this, but I don't think it goes far enough. You know, I right. think there's a lot of opportunity for that. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I see your point, but I don't necessarily agree with it. Because it presupposes that if you had a candidate come out and say, look, the the better deal does some things right, but it doesn't go far enough. And what we need is single payer. What we need is a non-means-tested uh, education, you know, college education for everyone. It presupposes that the Democrats aren't just going to attack that person the way they did to Bernie. Well, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of presupposing that right now they're – tired of losing enough to where they would actually go with the winning message either way you know but i like how chuck schumer was basically saying look we're the minority in both houses it's not like we can't realistically expect congress that they're going to start passing any of this stuff tomorrow well if you can't expect that man you might as well swing for the fence a little bit absolutely absolutely make it something like that people want to get behind and i think that's what that's what trump did so amazingly right is that he came out and he he did swing for the fences, right? I mean, if you could say one thing about what Trump did, he didn't care that his proposals were workable or not. <laughs> right. He just got out there and he started saying that he was going <laughs> to do it. People ate it up. Right. But at the same time, you know, I don't know that we necessarily want, you know, Nancy Pelosi or the Democratic leadership to go out there and start promising things that they're not prepared to follow through on. It worked for Trump to get him elected but it did it's not working for him now mm-hmm. and that's i guess i don't know if it's a flaw of the democratic party but it's a difference right that they're not going to go out there and say crazy stuff just to win an election that they know is not workable well, I, think I mean that's where they see single they, payer I mean, right they're, now okay. they're willing to do it when it works because look at right you know when barack obama ran in 2008 he ran on a pretty vague message of hope and change, and basically, we're going to completely upend the way 
American politics works. We're going to, you know, fix this financial crisis that we're in, you know, and he was a massively popular president without actually accomplishing any of that. Right. There, there were like three people who went to prison over what caused the financial crisis, the, this massive institutional fraud that was committed against pensions and municipal It was like Madoff went funds. to jail, but he didn't actually have anything to do with None of the actual people who did anything in the financial crisis went to jail. Right. Well, <laughs> and the thing is, I think, people. I think there's a difference between things that are undoable and things that are undoable with the ability to still maintain popularity with your donor class. I mean, it's like the things that Trump promises are just unworkable because they literally do not work like $12 a year Gerber baby, you know, health insurance. It's like those kind of things physically, you cannot physically pull that out of thin air. The kind of things that, you know, Bernie Sanders was talking about are things that say, okay, we can do this. It is a doable thing, but you have to be able to get rid of all that sweet donor money. You know, those are the only people that are holding it up. So I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a difference there. Well, okay, but I mean, the the what bugs the hell out of me though is that they're still chasing a the marketing success of the Barack Obama campaign. It's like they would rather get the marketing award that he got for his campaign than they would win an election uh, because. <laughs> right. B, they're also chasing this donor class when Bernie Sanders was able to raise almost $250 million just from, like, individual donations. dollars a know? month. Just people who wanted to send a yeah. few bucks in because he was saying things that they actually wanted to vote for. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's not going to change. I mean, they again, they want to have their cake and eat it too, right? They want to be able to say, look, if you want to go be Bernie Sanders, go Bernie Sanders it away. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing what we've always been doing because it's <laughs> it's been working for them, even though it doesn't work. But they sure get a lot of money. Yeah, and it's, so it's more of the same. We're going to have more of these insanely expensive co- congressional races, like the John Ossoff campaign that they also lost. By the way, mm-hmm. you know we're going to spend more and more money on these elections that the Democrats can't win because they don't show up. They don't bring their A game. They don't swing for the fences. They don't do the things that the left wants them to do. But then they can say, well, we weren't expected to win anyway, so any ground we (laughs) made is good, you know. Right. But I think, you know, the the success of this and, you know, we'll see, you know, how how Bernie does and, you know, with his, uh, you know, his his list of donors and, you know, his his speaking tours and national tours that he's been going on to support candidates. I think the real test is going to be when they start to actually have some of these congressional candidates start to run and start to have Democratic primaries where you might be getting, you know, I think you're already kind of seeing it start to happen. You've got these more centrist kind of corporate funded Democrats versus these more kind of Bernie inspired, um, you know, grassroots activists. <laughs> Iron that's going to be Yeah, that's going to be a clash in this primary. And depending on, you know, the outcomes of those primaries, you might see, you know, a little bit of a tip towards one way or the other, depending on how that goes. So it just means that people need to get out and they need to, you know, participate. They need to follow their local elections. And I think it all comes down to that local thing, right? I mean, Mm. it doesn't matter to most people what Nancy Pelosi is doing. It matters what the person who's running in your district, in your state is doing. Um Unless you happen to live in Nancy Pelosi's district, then they're <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think for a long time, 
what people have accused the Democrats of doing is when they start to campaign, they say all this stuff about, oh, we're moving to the left, we're moving to the left, we're going to do all this leftist stuff. But then as soon as they win, they immediately say like, well, never mind. What we're instead going to do is like do the compromise thing, Mm -hmm. which is basically just what the Republicans want, but we're going to slap a fresh coat of paint on it. Right. You know, I think it's time that they flipped it, which is, you know, maybe that's what they're doing here, where they're just saying like, look, we're just tacking right to the right. So that they can win those moderates, and then they just, as soon as they win, boom, (laughs) straight to Bernie Town. The the same strategy that's been losing them state houses and congressional seats for like 10 years now. Anyway, back to Nancy, just to to wrap up this article, because I'm just disgusted. Last paragraph here. The past six months have exposed the toxic special interest priorities at the core of the Republican agenda. The American people deserve better. With the Democratic Congress, a better deal is exactly what Democrats will give them. I agree with the middle sentence, the the American people deserve better. And I agree with part of the first sentence, except I would say the Democrat agenda is also a special interest priority uh, sort of sort of platform. Sure. Um, and I'm not sold, guys. I'm not sold <laughs> that... With a Democratic Congress, a better deal is exactly what Democrats will give them. Hmm. Well, you know, give it some time to sink in. Maybe it'll, you know, it'll grow on you. <laughs> I literally you laughed know. out loud when you first linked to this, uh, just the whole time, just the whole time <laughs> I was reading it. It is right. such a milk toast, obviously chasing the donor and big money interests, sort of like non relevant to what people actually want what people you know single payers got like 75 percent approval in this country right right now and so what the what are the democrats going to do they're going to focus on prescription drug prices and use medicare that the republicans you know like if that even exists by the time they're in power Mm. yeah well like i said i think that the this this is a little bit of a rocky rollout of the new strategy. I actually don't <laughs> think the better deal slogan is bad. I I mean I think right. it's fine. I think it's not it's it's catchy because it harkens back to the new, new deal. deal. Right. And it also is a little bit of a dig at Trump that he's so great at deals, but you know, this is a this is a better deal. And I think like I said, right, it, it all comes down to, like, what the actual candidates are going to do. We'll see how these midterms go. I'm really hopeful that, you know, people like Iron Stash, who's running against Paul Ryan and got a lot of attention <laughs> right. as that working class candidate. I yeah. think a lot of people like that, as they start to get more attention, you'll start to see these messages emerge, right? And it takes someone, I think, sometimes like that, like Bernie Sanders, to push them out a little bit to make them feel like they're safe and they can take a little bit more of a chance and go out on a limb and, and actually have something bold instead of just saying that it's going to be bold. But I mean, I, I hope you're right. But, you know, on the on the flip side, calling it a better deal as some kind of hearkening back to FDR, I mean, makes people go like, oh, what was in the New Deal anyway? The New Deal included massive government jobs programs. It included massive reinvestment in American infrastructure, which doesn't come up at all in this proposal. Okay. 
So, I mean, just as a comparison, it already looks really weak. I mean, it's some some super weak tea compared to the thing that they're trying to compare it to. Uh, I also want to note that this is incredibly white. Uh, this is way? this is a proposal that's written for, you know, it's that for white, white middle class. America Trump voter, <laughs> you know, middle class family um, and completely ignores. I mean, somehow, even though they'll attack Bernie Sanders all the time for he only focuses on economic inequality and doesn't talk about racial or uh, any of these other social inequalities they're going to write a new proposal that doesn't even touch those issues. Right. But I think, again, Nancy Pelosi, if they wanted that to be the message, Nancy Pelosi is not the person to deliver that message. Absolutely. But if you look at, if you look at the actual Democratic Party platform, it includes all that stuff. So the fact that they're just pulling out these kind of weak T things as like what they want to choose to talk about as they do this kind of relaunch of their agenda it just is a little bit perplexing for me because again, it's not even the strongest parts of the agenda that they've already put out, which includes things like ending private prisons Mm -hmm. and, you know, ending the ridiculous war on marijuana that wastes so many millions of dollars and destroys people's lives for absolutely no gain. Right. Um, You know, I'm just looking at the uh, party platform on Democrats.org right here. Making the wealthy pay their fair share of taxes right. is one of the head is one of the things that yeah. wasn't in there. Ending systemic racism, closing the racial wealth gap, reforming criminal justice system. You know, well, there's you, so you, many things in here. Well, you know that you can't actually get moderate Republicans or centrists or whatever. Who fucking cares along. about moderate Republicans? Well, I'm just I'm telling you. Like, I'm telling Nancy you. Pelosi. People don't show That's up to exactly vote for the Democrats the because they yeah. don't put forward anything that speaks to their interests. If they talked about the stuff that people wanted to have politics actually impact in their lives, you would have more people show up to vote. You don't need the people who are already voting for the team that voted for president grab him by the pussy. I'm going to propagandize a bunch of boy scouts, you know, well, get people who don't vote, get them excited. But the, but it keeps coming back to the point that like, Chuck Schumer wants, you know, for every one of those uh, people that they lose, they'll pick up two moderates right. and wherever, you know. Right. I well, mean, I mean, I the, think the they're Panera probably, bread mom right. or whatever. I mean, they're <laughs> right. at a point where in the last election, the the choices were between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Right. In the next election, it's Donald Trump and somebody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I think they're they're in a position right now where they think. They can capitalize on. Well, that. it's just like with what what Hillary thought, right? Which mm-hmm. is, well, we already got those people. We don't need to talk to those people because mm-hmm. we already got them. Who we need to talk to is all these white people who voted for Trump because he thought that he was going to help him, but he was not going to help him. Right? Who's going to actually help him is us, the Democrats. Which is why I'm so That's proud to call Hillary Clinton my president. Do. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> so again, it's like I can see where they're coming from, but. I think we're all in agreement that it's a waste of time to try to go out there with this message because well, you're not going to win over any Republicans. And if you are going to win over Republicans with a message like this, you're going to lose. You're going to just, of... <laughs> you know, make other people who are not Republicans go, oh, never mind. I thought I was going to go door to door and canvas for you because you were fighting so hard for me. Right. But I guess maybe not. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, well, it's we'll early. see how it actually goes. They're you testing know? the waters, you know. This is the first focus group, you know. Maybe they'll they'll take some feedback from it and make it a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Small incremental changes you can believe in. <laughs> Absolutely, believe me. And with that, I think uh, I think we're we're wrapping up this uh, this roundtable. Um, I hope everybody is ex- is as excited about the new democratic platform as we are. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I know that uh, I know that Nancy Pelosi is loving it. Although I will say the actual like I said, if you dig into the actual policies, there's some good stuff in there. But the the rollout with Pelosi and Schumer didn't even talk about some of that good stuff. Um, including as part of uh, the conglomerates that they want to break up was like uh, all the like uh, beer mergers that are happening. Oh. <laughs> so if you dig down into the into the fine print, they're like, uh, more beer companies, please. Mm. So maybe they should have led with that. I don't know. <laughs> well, I did see on Twitter today that millennials, in addition to killing casual dining and the diamond industry, are also killing beer because it turns out they don't like to drink, you know, just corporate branded barley pop. Which, you know, I'm drinking a corporate branded barley pop right now, so I'm doing my part. Well, you know, maybe uh, if we take it out on a high note here, you know, we could talk about how Jimmy Carter, Democratic president, was responsible for the home brewing revolution by repealing those uh, prohibitionary laws that said you couldn't brew your own beer. Oh, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. Take a break and come back to that. Sounds good. Let's cut to the chase. There are two kinds of people, sheep and sharks. Anyone who's a sheep is fired. Who's a sheep? Okay, let's work on your execu-speak. I'm worried about blank. Don't you worry about blank. Let me worry about blank. Good. I also would have accepted blank? Blank? You're not looking at the big picture. Now, the first order of business is to blame everything on the guy before me. We should start with that Scaramouche thing, though. That's fucking hilarious. Well, did you guys know that Scaramucci, well, the word Scaramucci in Italian is clown. So he's like clowny. Yeah, clowny. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Clowny, right. I'm here to be Donald Trump's spokesman. Yeah, no, he's a <laughs> it's a, a stock character from the Commedia dell'arte, which, let's see, I'm looking at the wiki right now, combined the characteristics of the Zani, or servant, and the Capitano, or masked henchman. Um, usually oh, attired perfect. in black Spanish mm. dress and burlesquing a don, he was often beaten by Harlequin for his boasting and cowardice. So, yeah, basically a coward boasting yeah. henchman. Oh, so he's fighting Harley Quinn? I think Steven Mnuchin just got an idea for Suicide Squad, too. <laughs> Scared of Mooch replacing Jared Leto. I love it. Oh, man. But can he sing like Jared Leto? That's what I want to know. <laughs> 30 seconds to Mars. <laughs> 30 seconds to Mars. Mars is far away and high up. And speaking of, you all know it is time for the high note. Hey. We've got some we've got some pretty good articles uh this week. So Well here, let, let me let me lead it in. Because we were just talking about Jimmy Carter. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. And the repealing uh those prohibition regulations that uh, didn't allow you to brew beer at your house. Oh, uh yeah. but Jimmy Carter has been in the news a lot lately. 
building uh, houses and shit. Right, right, he's out there for work, and he's like ninety three, getting heat exhaustion, literally working at Habitat for Humanity, building houses for the poor with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. He gets heat exhaustion, passes out, goes to the hospital, and he's back there the next day doing it again. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just made news by saying, "Oh yeah, like single payer, like yeah, it's gonna happen for sure." Nice, awesome. Uh, so. I think he's one of those guys where a lot of times when people talk about him, they accept this Republican framing of like, oh, what a failure of a president he was. Mm-hmm. But looking back, they're like, oh, wow, he actually did like a lot of good stuff. Like, yep. he didn't start any wars, you know? Right. They're, they're like, that's a that's a point against him right tried there. To, tried I to mean, get us uh, on the path toward renewable energy back in the 70s when that was still pretty controversial right oh, he yeah, put up he, solar panels yeah put those panels up right. and they got taken down by reagan or something yeah. uh, <laughs> and he actually tried to get those iran uh those hostages released uh during that iran hostage situation so it ended up happening under reagan but right he started that shit so yeah he didn't even have to like pardon himself yeah <laughs> yeah so maybe it wasn't all that bad you guys yeah no kidding <laughs> Wasn't he like a Sunday school teacher before all that, too? Oh, absolutely, man. So, he was man. probably the most, you know, in contrast with Trump, the the right-wing Republicans always want to talk about how much they love Jesus. Yeah. And then they vote for Trump. But when you actually had a president who was devout preacher yeah. and lived his values, helping the poor, building out there with his own mm, two hands, yep. they're like, what a failure. Get, get that he didn't even make money, <laughs> you know? What an idiot. Right. They literally yeah. made him sell his peanut farm before he took office because there was a concern about a conflict of conflict. interest that he might benefit the peanut industry and that was right. going to end up mm-hmm. helping him out. And, it's just all those peanut butter subsidies coming in. You know? Right, and and now we've got a president who makes all of the ambassadors stay at his own hotels. Right. right. They spent over like hundreds, like over $400,000 in like golf cart rental fees already mm-hmm. so far. Right. But Goes Carter's right back into his pocket. Been a pretty good post president too, in terms of high profile, still relevant in the news when it comes to serious issues and things like that. So yeah, the only shame you know. is that you know ninety two. I think we're looking at a Jimmy Carter state funeral under the Trump administration. Oh my. Uh, Maybe hold out there, buddy. Good luck, Jimmy Carter. I heard a lot of good things about Jimmy Carter. I'm sure I'll hear a lot more later. <laughs> he was a way worse president than me. Everybody yeah. agrees with me. Yeah. You know, sometimes they, they say the single biggest witch hunt was me. Yeah. But his was number two. Yeah. Well, you know, well, speaking about... It's going to get ratings. Speaking about other statesmen, like true statesmen of our age, um, mm. we did see this article... Uh, this is my high note for the week. Um, coming from coming from my own home state of Texas here. This is a, a fellow named Blake Farenthold, uh, who's the Republican congressman from representing Corpus Christi, was on the radio and was talking about how the Republican Congress is having such a hard time repealing Obamacare with no plan in place. I mean, I wonder why. I wonder why people are hesitant to do that anyway came out and said some of the people that are opposed to this I I, I feel like I want to do this guy in a Jersey accent but he's from Texas so that's probably not uh, appropriate but um, you know (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's the Trump accent talk like your neighbors okay well I I mean (laughs) I live in a transplant town one that you don't like Uh, (laughs) anyway 
Some of the people who are opposed to this, they're female senators from the Northeast. If it was a guy from South Texas, I might ask him to step outside and settle this Aaron Burr style. Hmm. Topical Hamilton <laughs> reference. <laughs> Dude, he just went to the show, probably. Yeah. Alexander. Aaron Burr, sir. Can we agree the duels are dumb and immature? Sure, but your man has to answer for his words, Burr. With his life? We both know that's absurd, sir. Hang on, how many men died because Lee was inexperienced and ruinous? Okay, so we're doing this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's the Ten Dual Commandments. It's the Ten Dual Commandments. Number one. The challenge demands satisfaction. If they apologize, no need for further action. He was like, it's an instruction manual for how to get things done in Washington gridlock. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think this even flies in Texas politics. You know, this isn't. This isn't a thing that people are are voting for. It's as bad a a public persona as the state of Texas has in the national discourse. Usually you don't have your congressman actually saying, you know, if it wasn't a broad, I'd challenge her to a duel and literally shoot her to death. (laughs) Well, that's right. And, you know, and that's the thing. It's like they sure seem to have gotten over that whole Scalise shooting real quick to oh, get absolutely. back to being, yeah, the, the, all we're not that, above this all gun All the hand-wringing and the crocodile tears about how violent the the political discourse has gotten. Like, look at the leftists. Dude, They're talking about punching Nazis. Ted and then you Nugent got made a promise. A sitting congressman <laughs> all but threatening to shoot other congresspeople. Right. Well, I bet when we get Senator The Rock up in, or uh, Kid Rock up in there and the rock you know <laughs> he'll know how to respect them. him then we'll really get some respectful language well you know these congress people i think that <laughs> i think uh when he's talking about them you know if they were if it was a guy from south texas i might ask him to step outside if it was a guy from south texas you might have like invited them to the meeting when you were forming you know the legislation to begin with you know <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> you would have given them some respect to begin with right. but but now you're ready to shoot him. That's cool. Cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so. So that's my high note for the week. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you, it's high. Representative Farenthold. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's really elevating the discourse. <laughs> I was going to say it's high because uh, duels happen at high noon. Yeah. I yeah, think. good call. Maybe, you know. <laughs> Especially in Texas. in Texas. Yeah. No, duels are kind of shitty. And my high note um, less to do with shit and more to do with cow flatulence, I guess you could say. <laughs> so Very different. You know, um, this comes from the Irish Times. Uh, seaweed shown to reduce 99% methane from cattle. And essentially, uh, researchers at James Cook University in Queensland, Australia, found the addition of less than 2% dried seaweed to a cow's diet could reduce their methane emissions by as much as 99%. So that study built on the experience of a Canadian farmer who discovered in 2012 that cattle eating windblown seaweed were not just more healthy than others, but enjoyed a longer mating cycle. So they did this study and actually found that this could have a positive effect in terms of methane emissions on cattle. I mean, Uh, but Chuck... That's terrific. I mean, that's that's such a huge component of the uh, you know the greenhouse gases that are driving climate change. It is actually, yeah, absolutely. The end result of the digestive habits is the daily leakage of two hundred to five hundred liters of methane, mm-hmm. 
which is about 25 times more harmful to the atmosphere than carbon dioxide over a 100-year time span. Right. It's, just, it's way more efficient at trapping heat. And, yep. uh, I mean, that's, that's also the risk with, you know, there, there are these huge methane pockets trapped in the, uh, in the permafrost. So as climates warm and weather patterns change, you're going to see just a lot more methane. So anything we can do to draw that back down, that's, that's a good step. I mean, people could just stop eating so much meat, I suppose. They could. Or we could just start a seaweed farm and start selling into all of these uh, factory farms or something, you know, mm-hmm. sure. and make a little bit of money yeah. before we go out. I mean, where are you going to get all that seaweed? It's not like seaweed grows on trees. Exactly. We could, just, we could hydro that stuff. So I love that we started this episode with literal bullshit coming from like the highest chambers of power, and now we're down into um, like the next closest thing to you know figurative <laughs> bullshit. I, the there's circle of shit. <laughs> they're similar in so many ways. Yeah. So you know we like to bring things full circle. Horseshoe effect is always an effect on the liquid flannel <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's a good place to call it a day. You know, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody out there, and um, definitely like us on iTunes, share us on SoundCloud, and on social media. And we're on Facebook now. We have a Facebook page. That's right. We've got a Facebook page, and uh, we've got a YouTube. Or yeah, we're we... getting the YouTube going. It's getting it's getting it started up. So yeah, go check that out too if you like to listen on, on YouTube. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you know, check us out on all those social medias, and you can also follow us at liquid underscore flannel, and be sure to follow us individually. You can find me at Shaggy Two Trope. Brendan, where can they find you? I'm at Brendan Williams with one L. And Matt, where are you at? I'm at Matt the Great with a W. And this has been the Liquid Flannel Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.